Good morning. Glad to see you all. Uh, if you're watching online, we're glad that you guys are here as well. Uh, as Roy said, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as associate pastor here. And uh, we are in Advent week two. And I'm excited to be able to share and to lead us in some discussion uh, this morning. We'll do very similar to last week, which is a message where I'm going to do some preaching, but then there's also going to be some, some discussion time with you all. So I will, I will throw it out to you all, and we'll have a couple of minutes of discussion. We'll do that about three times during the service. And if you're watching online, we want you to be involved. There's people monitoring the chat. Uh, so if you have questions, thoughts, things that you want to add, make sure to put those in there. And then folks will be sending that in to me. So pray for my um, ability to do five things at the same time. Would you do that? I would appreciate that. Uh, let me pray for us, and, um, and then we'll begin our time of, of looking at the Word together. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for this time. I thank you for this season. I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you for the hope of this season. I thank you for the very natural way that we sense something different about this season. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a very clear sense of Jesus' presence here during this season. As for myself and for my family and for the MCC family, Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus real in our minds and in our hearts this Christmas season? So we give you this time. We thank you for the prophet Micah. We thank you for his message to your people. We thank you for your word, Father, that speaks and echoes even today. And so we give you this time. Holy Spirit, teach us. Jesus, be honored in our time together. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Micah chapter 5. The message this morning is peace is a person. Peace is a person from Micah 5. And just so that you know, Micah 5, just a big idea for just this passage, um, is that this passage is describing a ruler from Bethlehem who will come and shepherd the people of God. And under his leadership, they will experience security and he will be their peace. Peace. Peace is a person. So the big idea of the Advent series this is what we're looking at these um, last week and then the coming three weeks. The big idea, just right back to that, Isabella. The Old Testament prophets teach us how to wait well for the coming king as we come to the end of a difficult and divisive 2020. So we mentioned this last week. Advent is, is, is happening on two different planes for us as New Testament believers. Advent actually happens on two planes. Number one, Advent means we're reflecting on the coming of the Messiah as a little baby born in a manger, and he came the first time, his first coming. And Advent is also a time where we're thinking also about his second coming, where Jesus will come again, not as a baby, but as a warrior with his name tattooed on his leg to make all things right, right? where he comes to make all things right. So Advent, the coming of Christ, we think about his first coming as a baby in a manger, very, uh, very subtle and auspicious. 
and then his second coming, which there will be no doubt he is here. That's what Advent is about. There are two planes that we're thinking along. And here's the Advent series plan. Last week, we looked at hope from Jeremiah 33. Today, we're looking at peace from Micah 5. Next week, we'll look at joy from Zephaniah 3. And then December 20th, Sunday before Christmas, we'll look at love from Isaiah chapter 9. The message will go this way. Five observations from the text. Five observations. The Christmas context is that God's people are under attack. That's verse 1. Second, God loves to use little things. Verse 2, the first half of that verse. Three, God has a plan. Four, God doesn't mind waiting. And five, the world is dying for a shepherd and God has given us one for Christmas. So let's begin. Micah chapter 5 Christmas context, God's people are under attack. It's verse 1. So I just want us to just think through the context of Christmas. What is the context of Christmas? And specifically this prophecy from Micah chapter 5. The context is in verse 1. Let's look at what Micah writes. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege. Everyone say siege. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So Micah is most probably writing around 701 B.C. And what's happening here is the king of Assyria has been sent to surround and destroy Jerusalem. So all the troops, the Assyrian troops are surrounding Jerusalem. Siege has been set against the royal city. And the original Jewish readers who are in Babylon at the time, they're picturing their beautiful Jerusalem up on a hill surrounded by enemy troops. They're laying siege against the city. In chapter 4, verse 11, they describe this siege. Now many nations are assembled against you. They're saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. Let me just say something. Christmas context is not a happy context. Right? <laughs> Micah is describing the Christmas context. It's not a happy context. It's actually siege. It's actually warfare. That people are coming, these enemies are coming to destroy Jerusalem. When I think about this, I think about the movie Two Towers. Has anyone seen, has anyone ever heard of Lord of the Rings? And the movie The Two Towers. There's a scene in the book called The Battle at Helm's Deep. And it's set in the movies beautifully, stunningly, where uh, the people of Rohan have retreated into this mountain fortress, and it shows these orcs and Urukai coming up against that fortress. And in that port in the movie, there's a sense of, ugh, how's this gonna go? In fact, the heroes are looking at each other and going, we're going to die. Like, there's no hope. The enemy is at the doorstep. They've got battering rams. They have explosives. They're coming to kill us. Christmas context is a warfare context. Listen, Christmas is not primarily about gingerbread men and candy canes. Christmas is primarily about people that are experiencing death is coming, but a hero is coming. That is the context for Christmas. 
less about tinsels and more about a hero. Less about gifts under a tree and more about God crucified on a tree for us to set us free. (laughs) Sometimes we forget what Christmas is about. Christmas is God's response to the fact that humanity is enslaved to sin. (laughs) And without a hero and a rescuer, we will die in our sin, separated from God forever. And Christmas context, the baby being born in the manger is a rescue mission on behalf of God to to save enslaved people. Jesus puts it this way, John 16, He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take art, I have overcome the world. <laughs> Jesus says, I've come to explain peace to you. The world will bring tribulation, but I've come and I've overcome the world. So I just want to remind us, the Christmas context... The Christmas context is the people of God threatened with death and a hero is coming. All right, observation number two. God loves to use little things. Look at verse two. He says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So if we think about this, okay, here's the context. The people of God are under siege. What would God do if his city is under siege and his people are under siege? What are the things that God would do? What's going to be his response to an evil attack? Maybe he'll send angels to come out and take out the enemy, right? Maybe he will send some sort of heavenly creature to come and wipe out all the enemies. But what does God do? He says there's a hero coming, and this hero is coming from Bethlehem. Now, for us, when we hear Bethlehem and we sing about Bethlehem, that's actually a very famous city, right? Bethlehem. But in this context, Bethlehem is a podunk town that nobody expects anything to come from. That's what he says. Bethlehem is a podunk, one-stop sign town. Y'all hearing me? I'm from Texas. I know a lot of these towns. I went to undergrad at Baylor down in Waco. The first church that I served in was a church in the country town of Crawford, Texas. Crawford is too big even to be considered Bethlehem. Crawford had a high school. Crawford had a Dairy Queen. So that's even too big for what we're talking about. Is Hannah Green here? I was just thinking about Peebles. Is she upstairs? Okay, when she watches this. Even Peebles is probably too big. Are y'all hearing me? We're talking about a little one-stop sign town, and nobody expects anything big or good to come from that town. Bethlehem is a couple miles southeast of Jerusalem. And what does Micah say? You who are too little to be even among the clans of Judah. You're too small, small in quality and small in significance. 
You know, sometimes we think when we need a hero, we need someone who looks like a hero. Sometimes we think we need someone who has the right pedigree. Sometimes we think we need somebody who who looks the part. When God makes a plan to save his people, he goes in the one place that no one is expecting, Bethlehem. Little podunk town outside of Jerusalem. God loves to use little things in his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul writes this. He says, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, this is why, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God loves using little things. I just want to just make a personal application to us. Sometimes we think, well, I didn't go to seminary, so I can't really be used by God. Or I'm not an elder at my church. I'm not a teacher at my church. I can't be used by God. Or, you know, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. God would not use me. Let me just say something to you. All of those limiting beliefs, God loves to use those very kinds of people because it brings him glory and honor. You may feel like a little podunk person in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, even the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest, John the Baptist. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Let's have some discussion. I've got a couple of questions up here. We're going to take two minutes just to discuss, and if you're online, we're going to do the same thing. Just turn to your neighbor. We're going to take two minutes. A couple of questions to consider. What do you think about Christmas being a wartime strategy by God to set his people free? And then another question. Reflect on this scripture in light of the Christmas story. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's take two minutes, discuss, and then we're going to come back and talk it out a little bit. Two minutes. All right. Evan, do you have a microphone? Just want to make sure. Um, let's just take a couple minutes here. Um, share, with, share with the big group um, what did you discuss in your small group. And if you're online, if you go ahead and put that in the chat, we'll be able to share that as well. Evan's going to come with a mic, and he'll wipe it off for you. Uh, so uh, who's got something that they want to share with regard to that discussion time? Got Julie over here. <clears throat> I was just telling Mary that everything in my life that has been of significance has been predicated with spiritual warfare and battle. There's mm -hmm. been a battle, um, a spiritual battle in my life or Paul's life or her family's life before every significant thing that has ever happened. And that I've had to learn to deal with, like a fight, uh, illness, uh, whatever. And that's exactly what happens at Christmas time, is what Jamie says, is there's a battle happening, uh, spiritual warfare happening before 
uh, the coming of Christ. So I thought it was interesting. Made me relate. That's good, Julie. Who else? Got one over here. Rob Seaton uh, said, I feel like Christmas shopping is a wartime strategy of, the, of Satan. <laughs> Although I do like giving good gifts. And, that, and that's the heart of the Father, right? So it's like, it's so like the enemy to take something good, which is the impulse of the Father, which is to give good gifts to his kids. And it's so like the enemy to take that and then to twist it and corrupt it and defile it in such a way that consumerism becomes the issue rather than giving. It's so like the enemy. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm new kid on the block. Um, anyway, um, we've been talking about, you know, when Jesus comes and so forth and talking about Christmas. And it's, it, when we talk about what the disciples, what they were thinking, what Jesus is supposed to do, why aren't you getting rid of Rome? Why aren't you, you know, taking your throne in here and, and taking care of everything here on earth. This passage, when you look at it, helps understand why the disciples thought the way they did. Because they were expecting a warrior to come. They did not get it. And it's like, even though there's this neon sign over Jesus' set, head saying, not getting it, they, now we understand. You get it better when you look at culture and look at, you know, how people think, why they thought that way. And this just kind of helps put in perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good word. Good, good word. Pastor Dennis on here. Christmas today is still mostly about the baby, but focusing on the warrior returning really changes that mindset. That's good. That's good. It's good, D. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yeah, so two things here. Um, the scripture you gave there from James about God opposing the proud, it reminds me of Moses and how he was able to have direct communication, face-to-face -face communication with God, it says. And somewhere in that context, it says, but there was no man on the face of the earth who was as humble as Moses was. So those, that's a link, somehow reminds me of that. The other thing here about small things, it reminds me of the time of Zechariah. So in Zechariah 4, 9, it says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of his house. His hands also shall complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent you. For who has despised the days of small things? shall rejoice and shall see the plumb land in the hands of Zerubbabel. So it just uh, reminded me when you were talking about small things, God uses small things. And that happened in a completely different context, um, but showing again the might of God, the purposes of God will, will come to pass. Not our ways. Okay. All right, let's look on um, observation number three from the text. Observation number three, God has a plan. This is the second half of verse two. Let's read all of verse two again. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Everybody say ancient days. From ancient days. That is a very specific phrase. That's a very specific phrase. From ancient days. Okay, so he's not describing some uh, reality TV star who is going to show up in, the, in their 15 minutes of fame. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> from ancient days. And he says, from me, from of old. All of that language is divine language. What's God saying? He says, I'm coming. The ancient of days. The pre-eternal one who has always been and who will always be the ancient one with no beginning or end. I'm coming, he says. So this Messiah, this anointed one, this hero, this victor, this Davidic one who's coming is God himself come to rescue. Not just some dude. Not just some prophet. Not just some healer. Not just some holy man, God himself, from of old, from ancient days. God has a plan. What does that mean? It means that even before the first galaxy was spoken into being, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a plan. From of old, you know, when, we, when, when I start talking like this, I, it hurts the brain. Theology will hurt you because that means that when God decided to create and to bring things into being, matter, time, space, when he brought it into being, he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to die for that thing, and he did it anyway. See, God is not creating. He didn't let there be light and, oh, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll, oh, okay, so we'll have some sort of thread that there's a Messiah thing that's coming. No, 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 that was already planned. God has a plan. From before the first molecule spoken into being, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit knew what was coming. And what's crazy is that he created us anyway. He created the human body, understanding right here is one of the most painful places on the body. He created the body knowing that this is one of the most painful places. It's very likely the very place that the Romans nailed his hands to the cross. Are y'all hearing me? He created the body with pain in such a way that it's excruciating right there, and that's where the Romans crucified him. God had a plan from of old. From ancient days. You know, sometimes anxiety is driven by the fact that we don't know what's coming, right? In fact, if I'm living future tense all the time, I'm anxious. I'm anxious about whatever that thing is that I don't know how it's gonna turn out. I'm anxious about it. Yo, anybody else? The things that I'm the most worried about are things that I don't even know if they're even going to happen. 
The things that I'm most anxious and scared and spinning thoughts in my brain have to do with things that I don't even know if this, by the time I get there, I don't even know if it's going to be there. And yet I'm worried about it right now. And that makes sense because we can't see the future, but you know who can and has already seen it and said, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for I will be with you. The Father has a plan for your life. So why are you so worried about it? Anxiety and fear, a lack of peace, this is where I'm going, occurs because I'm not thinking about the Father, his plan, or his kingdom. In fact, Jesus says, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Or what's going to happen with COVID? Or what's going to happen in 2021? Or what's going to happen with my job? Oh, sorry, that's not in the text, but you know what I'm saying. It says, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God has a plan. We can be at peace because God has a plan from of old, from ancient days. Hmm. Okay, observation number four. <laughs> My least favorite. It is true that God has a plan, but God doesn't mind waiting. Are y'all hearing me this morning? God doesn't mind waiting. Let's, let's look at verse three. Therefore, this ancient one is coming. My people are under attack. All seems to be lost. A hero is coming from this unlikely place. The hero is gonna be me. I have a plan Verse 3, therefore, he shall give them up until the time. Wait, what? <laughs> when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. The father is really unexpected in the way that he works. <laughs> he says, I'm coming but first I'm going to wait. Y'all see it in the text? I know you're under siege. I'm coming, but you're going to wait. And, and if we follow the history, let's, let's be real honest about what happens. Jerusalem is destroyed. Before that, the northern kingdom is taken. Then Jerusalem is destroyed. Then Judah is taken to Babylon. Can you imagine reading this text? Why did you wait? Now we're 70 years in Babylon. Why did you wait? We get it that you have a plan, but why did you wait? 
Yeah, the people of God are going to be in Babylon for 70 years, and it's amazing because then they return to the promised land, right? It's this amazing return from exile. And then you know what happens? 700 years of silence from God. No prophetic words. Silence. 700 years of silence. And then there's the cry of a baby, right? 70 years in Babylon, another 700 years before the coming of Christ. And I'm just, I'm laying on the the proof here like a good lawyer. He's still waiting, right? Like to make all things right, I'm talking about. He's still waiting. Jesus said, I'm not going to drink this cup until I drink it anew with you in the coming kingdom. He's still waiting. God's timeline is very different from ours. So what situation are you in right now where you kind of feel like, I'm tired of waiting and God seems to be letting me just keep waiting? I'm just thinking about the characters like Joseph who sees a dream. I'm gonna be second command. God's gonna use me in this amazing way. Now my brothers have thrown me a pit. Oh, they sold me into slavery. Oh, now I'm in prison. Right? Waiting. There is a pattern in God's relationship with us where he's happy to allow us to wait for him. Wait for his purposes. 70 years, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, and then even waiting now for his second coming. Okay, let's get some discussion. Discussion question. If God has a plan but doesn't mind waiting 70 years or 700, then what should my response be? And another question, how do we wait well when we don't see God moving very quickly? So these are softball questions. Should be no problem for you over the next two minutes. Two minutes, go ahead and go. All right. Evan's got a mic. I do want to open this up. If you're online, put those comments in the chat. I'm going to read a couple from, from online while you guys are thinking here in the room. Um, John Kofsky says, I agree. It was a wartime strategy to rescue us, even though we did not realize we were prisoners. That's good, John. Terry said, Terry Kofsky, God had done just what he wants us to do. He counted the cost before he began. It's a good word. Cherry Collins, when Micah gave the prophecy, Israelites were under siege, and when Jesus came in human form, the Israelites were under Roman rule and oppression, which is what you were discussing, and spiritually they were in bondage to sin. It's good. Then a Spurgeon, Jesus comes into our hearts when the soil is right, Isaiah 57, 15. Yeah, it's perfect timing. Any comments on this last two minutes of group discussion? Julie? of COVID, I've had to really learn how to keep myself in a place of peace. So that's been my job, and that's been my spiritual exercise uh, for, for months now, is to keep my environment around me in a place of peace. And in order to do that, things are bombard- bombarding us all the time, so I really have had to learn to work to keep myself in that place, because I can't I can't deal with other people unless I'm in a place of spiritual peace. So the other day, I scared my dog because I walk around in my house 
and I actually yell the promises of God. I just, that's how I deal with it. That's how I get myself in a place of peace. I yell the promises of God. I pray. I, I declare. I just, I'm real out there because my environment's being attacked. My peace is being attacked. My space is being attacked in this. And so um, I, just, I just yell out the promises of God. And afterwards, I just sense his peace come over me, and then I can deal with it again. But it's really taken a toll on my dog. <laughs> Let's pray for Peyton real quick. And, uh, got Burr over here. Jess Moore online says, Abba seems to be more about the relationship than the end goal or the task. There is an end goal, a task, but he wants us, he wants to engage us and grow us relationally with him in the waiting. It's a good word. It's a good world. Yep. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, there was a time when I was in the corporate world in business, and I found God was calling me out of that and into Christian ministry, and I said, oh, I'm ready to go, Lord. And it was 20 years later that that happened. But as I look back at that, I was nowhere near ready to be called out at the beginning, but I was much better prepared. So he has a purpose in the waiting. It's not that he's just sitting there saying, well, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. Good. Nosh? I'm going to um, steal from Sister Coon. She said a one word that just blessed my soul because on the second question where it says um, waiting well when you don't see God move, I confess that that's not a strong um, suit for me. I, I don't do that well. I'm an anxious person. But she used the word expectation, and it hit me in the gut. So when you don't see God moving very quickly, you wait in expectation that he's going to do exactly what he promised to do. Yes. Yeah, Mark over here while you're walking. Misty Tice, we should be patient and have the faith that he will do what he has promised. And Corey Lush, when waiting, when waiting, it is so helpful to keep our eyes and heart on the final gift of the kingdom. I'm waiting for the day when I can safely hug you all. Us too. Uh, I don't know when, but it will come. So on the second question, how do we wait well when we don't see God moving very quickly? And uh, well, I think uh, we wait well by seeing things that he would still have us to do. I think of the parable of the talents and how the master gave talents to three different servants. He went away. I had no idea how long he went away for but the three different servant, servants did various things with their talents. The ones who were most praised, they were proactive. They saw good, they saw the master train me. I'm supposed to invest these and, you know, get, get a return that the, would be appropriate to what the master would expect. The one was kind of passive and buried his talent and was ridiculed. Uh, so I also think of uh, late in one of the chapters of James, either uh, chapter three or four, says if we see the good that we ought to do and don't do it we sin so i think while we wait we got god has given us instruction on here's what to do while you're waiting go go out and bless people bless my name by the decisions you make and the attitude of your heart 
that last week, that sometimes the word waiting, the verb to wait, sounds passive. But in God's thinking, waiting is, nothing, is, is, is very active. We're, we're actively to be engaged in the kingdom. Scott, and then I'll read off some of these. I've got two real quick. The first one from the previous question about um, using humble things. When we lived in Arkansas, the church we were in were building a new building, and it, they were having a building fund. A lot of us have been through those. And the idea was people were going to give sacrificially for this new building. And there was an older woman in the church who gave a piece of costume jewelry because that's all she had. And the thing wasn't worth more than 50 cents. I actually saw it. It, it was a piece of costume jewelry. Somebody came in and bought that piece of costume jewelry for $10,000 and then donated it back to the church. And then somebody else came anonymously and paid $25,000 for it. And I don't remember, and I don't think I ever knew, what the final tally was. But on Commitment Sunday, when they passed the hat around, and that was the initial down payment on the church, the amount was $7 million. I, I was friends with the VP of Finance for the church, and I asked him on Monday, I said, what was the deposit today? And he said, $7.2 million. And that piece of costume jewelry is framed, and it's in the new building in Rogers, Arkansas. Um, this, the second thing is, is that, you know, how God has a plan and how God deals with our anxiety. Um, the business world right now is crazy. Everything is turned upside down, and nothing is normal. And I have a very, very big meeting on the 16th of December that I got called on Thursday morning and said, nope, that's been moved up to tomorrow. And you have to be ready. Well thought out, strategy and all that. And that brought great anxiety to me. So the first thing you do is go in prayer and just say, Lord, this is scaring me. Be honest with him. I'm not ready. And he says, Scott... I got this. I got this. So over the weekend, he's been giving me my thoughts, and I was at my computer last night at 10.30, 11 o'clock, typing in things. But here's the amazing thing. I need that meeting tomorrow because there's a series of meetings on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that I need this information for, and I didn't know that last week. God knew it. So there's times when things are thrown in our way that we're anxious about, when God is saying, it's because you don't know what I know, Scott. And now he's revealing to me that you need this meeting tomorrow morning at 9.30 so that you are prepared for the next three days. That's his plan for our life. That's good. Okay, we're gonna, we need to move to the next one. I just got a couple more to read here. Josh Harney says, wait without fear. He says that's a, that's a quote from Chris McNutt. Um, Dennis Bowe, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Ashley Hill, waiting well is a choice we make every day in faith that God will show up for us. He has been challenging me to trust he will answer my prayers for others, challenging me to continue to intercede. That's good, Ashley. And then Faith George, we must keep ourselves rooted in Scripture and his promises, the daily disciplines, to help us continually trust God in this time and keep joy and peace while we wait. That's good faith. Okay, 
Let's land the plane. Last observation, then we're going to do some practical application and some I wills. Um, the last observation, the world is dying for a shepherd and God has given us one for Christmas. Look at the text. Verse 4 and 5. It says, and he, this is this ancient one, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and in the first part of verse 5, and he shall be their peace. So you have this, this dual imagery of a shepherd who is of the Lord, and then he will be their peace. In him they will dwell secure. What does all that language remind you of, say, the last 10 weeks that we were in? David. <laughs> when the people of Israel hear about a shepherd who's coming, who's going to help us dwell secure, who's going to bring peace, they think David and the coming one coming through the line of David. Because David was the one who brought peace to the land, remember? All that war, all the mighty men, he brought peace to the kingdom. And the whole messianic concept is that God is coming in the line of David to be the ultimate shepherd of the people, the ultimate king, the ultimate hero, the ultimate warrior, the ultimate peace bringer. And he's going to come. So, peace. Peace. It reminds me of the song that we sang and Luke 2. In the same region, there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, these shepherds. You see the shepherd connection. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, in the city of David, Bethlehem. You see the connection? Bethlehem. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. These are warrior angels showing up in the field. Warriors. And they're praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And after that, the shepherds, the angels leave, and the shepherds go, let's go to Bethlehem and see who this peace bringer is. The shepherd brings peace to the sheep. Royce mentioned it when we were praying before the service. Is in my notes. Psalm 23, the Lord is my Shepherd, I shall not want. I will not be anxious about next week. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall chase me down, that verb says. Goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus puts it this way, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's have some practical application. I just want to list a couple of things. We've been talking about them. First and foremost, you want peace in your life, you must come to the shepherd. You want peace? Come to the shepherd. Says all you who are weary and heavy laden, won't you come to me? See, the shepherd has come to bring peace, to bring reconciliation, to bring wholeness and shalom, to bring peace to us. The primary reason we feel anxiety is because of sin and rebellion in our life. And Jesus has come to break the hostility of that peace, Ephesians says. See, Jesus dying on the cross, this little baby who came, grew up and died on the cross, he died as a substitute for my sin and brokenness and rebellion against God. He dies in my place on the cross, and there is a transfer, his perfect righteousness for my sin, transferred. The only way, he says, the world can't give you peace. You you see it in the text. The world cannot give you peace. He goes, I will give you my peace on the cross. He says, come to me. Repent and receive by grace. You want peace? Come to the shepherd. Come to Jesus. Another application, peace is not dependent on your circumstances, right? We've been talking about this. He says, I'm your shepherd. You will never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Is that what he said? No, he said, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. He says, you're going to have tribulation in this world. So if you're waiting for your circumstances to bring you peace, you are looking in the wrong place for it. Third idea, peace is a person. And not only is he a person, he is a present tense Person. He is presently, he is Emmanuel, God with us now. I'm just being really practical here. I, I mentioned this earlier. When I'm the most anxious, it's because I'm living future tense, not present tense. Let me say that again. When I'm the most anxious, it's because I'm living future tense without Jesus rather than present tense with Jesus. So when Jesus is on the bottom of the boat asleep and the disciples are afraid because the storm... It's because they're thinking about the future without Jesus. Where, where's Jesus? There's a storm. Rather than, I know, I'm present with Jesus. And by the way, he's asleep on the, on the bottom of the boat. Peace comes when I'm present tense. Present right now. Not what could happen. Present tense with Jesus, not future tense. Without Jesus. Peace is also an exchange. First Peter 5. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he loves you. He cares for you. And finally, peace is a byproduct of seeking the kingdom. When you seek first the kingdom, if my focus is on 
advancing the kingdom, being a part of what Jesus is doing in my life, in my street, at my job, in my church. What is God doing in my life right now? I've got something to put my mind to, present tense. Peace is a byproduct of that. And the world looks at that and goes, how, how does that person have so much peace? One of the greatest evangelistic strategies you could have is to just be at peace with Jesus around people that are really anxious. Because they're going to go, wait, what? Why are you not anxious like me? Let me tell you, his name is Jesus. It is, in fact, a Christian evangelistic strategy. Why don't you just be at peace? Since you have the prince of peace dwelling within you. Okay. We're low on time, but I, I want us to take this time Let's take a couple minutes, last discussion time. What practically are you going to do today to embrace the Prince of Peace in your life? I know I've got other questions up there. Those are good questions too. Main question, what am I going to do? What is the Father saying to me to do with regard to engaging the Prince of Peace? Today, Now, wait until 2021. Listen, 2021's got all kinds of problems, okay? Sufficient for the day. That's what Jesus said. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. What am I going to do today with the Prince of Peace? How will I engage him today? That's the question. One and a half minutes. Go. Okay. I'm going to read a couple of folks that are mentioning online. So this will be very brief. I will. This is what I'm going to do today. That's what we're sharing. A couple of people sharing online. Mary Ellen Hobal, John 14, 27. Perfect peace, not the world's peace. Absolutely. Dennis Spurgeon. The glory of the Lord reminds me of the Shekinah glory that appeared between the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant of fire. Light a fire in my heart. Okay, Dennis Spurgeon. I like it. Okay, now. Watch out when he does it. Light a fire in your life. Uh, some I will statements. What, what practically are we putting into place for peace this week, today? That's Scott over here. I'm praying and preparing as best as I can and leave the rest to God. Who else? We got Mary back here. Obedience. I just need to make some phone calls that I've kind of put off, and so I need to obey God and trust that he's already there being a peaceful presence in that situation. Got Kevin up here. I won't statement. <laughs> I, I won't worry about things I can't control. That's good. That's good. I won't worry about things I can't control. I like it. Um, let's do this. I'm going to invite Royce up here. Um, Royce is just going to play a little bit of music. What I want to—we're just going to end in prayer. Um, and <clears throat> here, here's my thinking here. Number one, and someone mentioned it. I can't remember who it was. Um, uh, peace is also a supernatural thing. So God gives us, he says, I'll give you my peace. So 
peace is not simply if I just get my mind, my thinking right, then I will have it. No, it's actually a divine, supernatural thing, also called a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit within us. So that passage and then the other passage, cast your anxieties on him, Jesus, for he loves you. Those two images, I want us to have just a time of prayer. And those are the two images I'm going to invite you to to picture one of those two images. Maybe it's the Spirit of God uh, um, birthing and producing peace through you, that image. Or you've got a backpack full of anxiety, okay? Everything you're worried about, you're picturing this backpack, and you're going to go, here you go, Jesus. I'm casting, I'm flinging, I'm throwing my anxieties over to you for you love me those are the two images that we're going to go so i'm just going to pray into that i would invite you um you can stand you can sit however you like um some people like to have their hands out some people like to throw their hands like literally just some some movement to communicate i don't want this anxiety stuff that I, i i need the prince of peace maybe you need to do an exchange kind of thing I'm just opening up some space for us to engage with the Prince of Peace himself. So let's just move into a time of prayer. Jesus, we honor you here in this place. We honor you. You are the Prince of Peace. And by your blood, you have ransomed people and reconciled people and rescued people from every tribe and tongue and people and language to be a kingdom of priests. Priests of peace. And Jesus, I invite you now to come and bring peace to your people those that are watching online in their rooms Holy Spirit we release your peace right into those rooms Holy Spirit would you come and would you produce the fruit of peace in our hearts Jesus, you are the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters and who restores our soul. So we honor you, Jesus. Jesus, we take our collective backpacks and we stuff every anxious thought, every spinning worry in our minds, every but what if 
that enters our mouths. We stuff them in our backpack and we throw it to you. We cast our cares and anxieties on you for you love us. And we confess that nothing can separate us from your love. I bless this church with peace. I bless my brothers and sisters with peace. I bless you with quick thinking when anxious thoughts return to quickly cast your cares to Jesus. I bless you with divine strategy from the Holy Spirit to avoid anxious spinning thoughts. I bless you at your workplace and in your home and the places that you go. I bless you with so much peace that the people around you are a little scared of you. I bless you that people say, what is wrong with you? I bless you with peace. Peace and knowing that you are loved. You dwell secure in the arms of the Father. You are in Christ and his spirit dwells within you. bless the children of this church with peace this Christmas season. I bless our elementary schools and our middle schools and our high schools and our home schools and our online schools. I bless these kids with peace. we trust you. You are the king. You are the shepherd. You are the one from of old, the ancient of days. You are the one who came as a child and you are the one who is coming as the victorious warrior and rescuer of all things. we receive you, Jesus. And I bless you with the words of Romans 15, 13, just like last week. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Church family, you are loved and you are dismissed. Be at peace, be at peace, be at peace. Oh, Burr? Yeah, Evan, do you have that microphone? Burr just wanted to share one quick thing. Um, and I, I do think it's something that we do need to share and acknowledge. And then we will be dismissed. You are loved, yeah, and then... I wanted to uh, commend Mark Symes for the unbelievable display he created out front. And last night was a very... Yes. It wasn't just Mark. He had a team of people here from the church, staff, and uh, Madison Place Church was very instrumental in getting all the lights up. And somebody got, somehow he got that, this, that uh, sleigh out there, which attracted a lot of people to get their families in there and have pictures taken. And Marymont, last night, was a glow with luminaria, thousands of them in this, in this town with light displays all over. And what a joy to drive around and see that. I don't know if the luminaria are going to be lit again tonight, but I would uh, urge people that are listening, if you have a chance, drive around Marymount, and you'll, be, uh, you'll see uh, what uh, the community here created to kick off Advent. So that's my comment. Thank you, Raz, as well. Thank you all. You are dismissed. Be at peace.